This is Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, a podcast series designed to help medical students and residents strategically navigate the process of applying for residency in emergency medicine or to EM-sponsored fellowship programs. I'm your host, Mike Gisandi from Stanford University. Let's get started. Welcome to Emergency Medicine Match Advice, sponsored by your friends at Academic Life and Emergency Medicine, and its editor-in-chief, star of stage and screen, Dr. Michelle Lin from UCSF. Hi, Michelle. Woohoo! Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. This is amazing to have some human contact in the era of COVID. Please, virtual hugs sent from California. Today's episode is a special one, our annual review of the most recent match entitled EM Program Directors Reflect on the 2021 Match. Was it a competitive year? Did it get easier for students? You'll have to stay tuned to find out. And to offer their sage advice and reflections on this year's match, we have three outstanding program directors. Dr. Jacob Uffberg from Temple University. Hey, Mike. Hey, Michelle. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, JJ. Dr. Amitha Sudhir from the University of Virginia. Hi, Mike. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me on here. Thanks for joining us. And last, Dr. Billy Caputo from Staten Island University Hospital. Hi, Billy. Hi, guys. Yes, Staten Island in the house. Thank you guys for having me. I love it. I love it. So, Michelle, every year we offer a quick review of the match statistics. And I'll refer to the audience to the show notes for this episode on alium.com to see the following data that I'm going to review as a resource we lovingly call the slide. The slide, as it's been come to be known, is our summary of the match data for emergency medicine over the last 10 years. And we source this from the NRMP data and results table. Column one is the year, so 2021. Column two is the number of ACGME-approved programs that offered entry-level spots. The number was 273, a big jump again from last year. It went up by 17 new programs. And the year before, it went up by 18 new programs. So in the last two years, 35 new programs in emergency medicine, in my humble opinion, far too many. Column three is the number of positions offered by those programs. So again, this is an increase because there's new programs and previously accredited programs expanded in size, 175 new spots up to a total of 2,840. Column four is the number of those positions that were filled in the match, so 2,826, almost all of them filled in the match. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Column five is the number of positions filled by LCME seniors, so senior medical students from allopathic medical schools in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada. So if you're not a senior in an allopathic program in the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Canada, then you're not an LCME senior. So that means the osteopathic medical students, allopaths who graduated in previous years, such as military applicants, and applicants from foreign medical schools, none of those are LCME seniors. So the number of positions this year filled by the LCME seniors was 1,765. So column six is the percentage positions filled by the LCME seniors, which in emergency medicine was 62.1%. Again, a drop from last year, which was 64.3%. Now we've observed a steady decline in the percent fill rate by LCME seniors, single accreditation or the conversion of osteopathic AOA accredited programs over to the single system of ACGME accredited programs. As the number of programs spike, but the corresponding number of LCME students do not, the overall LCME percent rate drops. And this is concerning because this is our marker of competitiveness that we focus on in this show. It's not the fill rate. Emergency medicine fills almost every spot annually. It's the percent fill rate by the LCME. Highly competitive specialties such as plastic surgery, thoracic surgery, vascular surgery, they fill with almost all LCME seniors with past fill rates 
approaching or equaling 100%. We live in this world of kind of competitive specialties, such as OBGYN and general surgery. The three of us previously had fill rates of LCME seniors in the 70 to 80% range, but now they're dropping along with emergency medicine into the 60s. Less competitive programs such as internal medicine is at 39%, pediatrics at 60.3%. And again, remember that we were at 62.1%. Column seven was the number of unfilled positions in the match. This was 14, almost the same as last year, 13, highlighting that emergency medicine fills all of its spots in the main match and that the SOAP is not a common method for getting into emergency medicine. Another way of saying this, we filled 99.5% of our positions in the main residency match which is effectively zero. So students should never count on the SOAP as a way to get into emergency medicine. And column eight is the number of unmatched LCME seniors. So the students applying only to emergency medicine, almost always under 100. This year, 165 LCME seniors went unmatched from emergency medicine. That's, that's a historic high. And column nine is the number of independent applicants. So the non-LCME seniors, so osteopaths, uh, international medical grads who didn't match to emergency medicine. That number is always under 200. And once again, it was this year, 165, interestingly, equaling the number of LCME seniors who didn't match. So there's a lot to unpack there. And for that, we're going to turn to our amazing panel for their sage wisdom. And let's get started with our first panelist, Dr. Uffberg. JJ, I'm going to ask you to start off. What kind of year was 2021 for emergency medicine? Was it more competitive, less competitive, stay the same? I'll take the just weirder. It was a strange year, you know, with virtual interviewing, increased applications because of anxiety around the situation, you know, uncertainty in how we were advising students, programs changing the way they were doing business in application review and maybe interviewing more people. It basically added up to just a different kind of match cycle than I think any of us have ever seen, certainly, or, or really could have expected before the pandemic. But that being said, I would say a strong stayed the same with maybe a tiny, tiny incremental fraction of a lean towards a little more competitive. All right. Okay. Well, I would agree with you. It was an odd year. Let's just say it was a fun year. I mean, it was sort of, was it, I'm not a program director anymore, so I found it to be a fun year, but maybe if you're in the hot seat, it was just a a weird year as you put it, but um, you're going to go with stayed the same or even more competitive. Is that right? So how can you tell? Was it your experience this year through the match or was it the data that gives you that story? Most of what I think is that it really stayed the same. And and most of that is based on kind of my own experience and a little bit on the data. From the experiential standpoint, I advise a good number of medical students. Our school happens to have a good number of medical students that go into emergency medicine. And speaking with them, advising them, going over their applications pretty much turned out how I would have predicted it pre-pandemic. You know, I think that folks got what I would have expected to happen. Second piece experientially would be the ranks per match number, kind of how far we go down our rank list, ended up within a rounding error of normal. And I've spoken to a handful of people who have said the same, and I certainly can't speak for everyone, but that's my anecdotal experience. From the data side, the percent fill by LCME seniors number is kind of this competitiveness number. But, you know, I think you have to kind of look at it in the context. It looks like there are about 175 new spots. And of those, it looks like kind of digging into the NRMP's numbers, it looks like about 100 of those spots were filled by USDO applicants. And when you look at who the programs were that joined the match in the past year or so, many of those are are newly ACGME accredited AOA programs. 
those programs very likely taking DO students. That alone, I think, could have driven that competitiveness number down a couple of percent very easily without any other factors at play. And certainly did drive it down somewhat. I can't say for sure that it accounted for all of it, but certainly I think a good chunk of that two point something percent drop that we saw. The one thing that makes me lean just a little towards more competitive is that number of unmatched seniors. Right. You know, that's a, that's an unexpected jump. And I don't have a better answer. I think that there are certainly a number of variables that may confound that. You know, certainly advising strategy and approaching the match, we were all flying blind, the students where we were. And so that may have played a significant role in that. But without knowing that, that's the one piece that makes me kind of lean just a tiny shade towards maybe more competitive. No, I, I mean, I think you're right. There's there's a lot to unpack from what you just said. I think first, the students should get the message that experienced advisors really matter. So Dr. Uffberg has been doing this for many years. And I think to go into an odd match cycle and predict what should happen to students and have those things actually happen, that's evidence of years of experience. And I think students need to be reminded to go find the faculty members, clerkship and residency, who really understand these numbers and watch them year to year. Those are the faculty members to trust in the process the most. I think that was really important. But you're right. You know, if if there's that many more students not matching into emergency match, you got to feel like that's more competitive. And the other corresponding number, the, the number of positions left unfilled going to the SOAP really stayed the same. So, so you have to sort of look at that number and you know, quizzically say, is that is that really the issue? But you're right when, the, when we talk about the conversion of the AOA to ACGME programs and sort of the diffusion of spots that were previously always filled by LCME seniors, you know, we see those percent LCME numbers drop, not only for emergency medicine, but for OB and surgery and pediatrics, you know, and even some of the more competitive specialties that used to always be 100% are now in the low 90s or high 80s, um, you know, thoracic and plastics being examples. So it, it is sort of a mixed bag when you look at the data, but we talk about sort of what, it, what you felt in the, in the match. I think that's sort of the most interesting part of your answer. So let's say this. So does it matter? So right. So are we just are we just provoking anxiety to the medical students by having this hangout every year? Should the students take away something from this year's review? Yeah, I think take home at the end of the day, I'm not sure that these data really reflect any really substantial trends in any direction other than the trend that's probably not disturbing to the students right now, but maybe the program directors that our specialties residency programs are growing at at what I would call an alarming rate. That's probably a whole nother podcast for another day, but that's the trend and probably irrelevant to the people listening to this podcast right now. But that being said, even though I'm saying that I don't think much has changed, I think a podcast like this is important. The take-home message saying it's okay, it's going to be okay, it's been okay, and not much has changed is a good one and should reduce anxiety, not increase anxiety. It means that you know when you go talk to your advisors, the advice they give you will be sound and valid, that the weirdness of the pandemic and the changes in the interview cycle really have not changed, I think, the core of what we do as educators and advisors. Yeah, I think that's really important. On one of these episodes pre-match, remember this, Michelle, we were trying to predict how many spots would be left unfilled. And I thought it was going to be a terrible year that just the process was going to get screwed up so much that we would have lots of unfilled spots in the, in the match, but I was certainly wrong. Michelle, what did you think? About yeah, that? I, we, I, um, I, I was contrarian wrong? with you. I said, no, you said there were going to be fewer. I thought there would be more spots. Eh, ended up both of us were wrong. It's about the same. <laughs> hey, can I ask um, a question well, for JJ real quick? Yeah. 
You know, JJ, yes. since, since we have you hostage here on the podcast and you are such an experienced advisor, I'm just curious if you are shifting your application advice for upcoming med students in the application cycle. Like since you've seen the arc of a year of COVID uh, season interviews, now that you reflect back, are you asking them to do anything different? Like, oh, you should now apply to more programs. Oh, you should apply to fewer. You should have many more safety schools. Or like you said before, just keep everything about the same. I think most things I would recommend probably stay the same. You know, I've always probably been the one person among the program directors. All All the student affairs offices of all medical schools want you to apply to, you know, thousand programs. They want you to apply to programs that don't even exist, you know, so that their kind of match rate looks good from their medical school. But as program directors, we're trying to balance making things realistic and duplicates, but also kind of creating a safety net for them such that we're not advising them into a bad situation. So I've always gone a little bit on the over in application. You know, I'm exceedingly clear that people should only interview at an appropriate number of programs, but that sending out applications and politely and quickly declining an interview invitation is a totally reasonable thing in my view. So, uh, you know, last year I edged towards a few more applications. I think this year I'll do the same. And I think, you know, in talking to some of the other program directors, and most of the ones I talk to are, are local, so I can't speak for everyone, but I think that there has been a little bit of regionalization with the inability to travel to interviews, to see an applicant who's never lived within 3,000 miles of my city, never went to school outside of a, a state, you know, all the way across the country, that I may be shying away from those applicants in favor of people who, who have experienced Philadelphia because they know what they're getting and are more likely to be for better or for worse, good use of my interview slot. And so I am pushing them a little bit. Hey, it's great. You want to go from Philadelphia to California, like go for it, but put your safety net around you locally, because I think that other programs may be thinking that way as well. I'm all about a safety net for the applicants that I advise. And and that's kind of what's changed for me is creating that local safety net. That's fa- this is why I love doing this show. This is fascinating. Anecdotally, to the program directors I chatted with after this year's match, everyone said their class was the most geographically diverse they've ever had because folks would interview at places that they wouldn't have otherwise spent the money to go fly to in a normal year. So it's so interesting, you know, the experiences being so different. All right. Well, thank you. Let's go on to our next panelist, Dr. Sudhir from the University of Virginia. And you're going to get the what's new section. So first of all, what are your thoughts on this year's match and your experiences? We're going to compare those to what you think is going to happen next year. Yeah, so I agree with JJ's assessment of competitiveness. I kind of feel like it was similarly competitive to past years, maybe just a smidge more. I have a different take on the geographic distribution of the residents, I think. I don't know that we're more geographically diverse than we have been in the past, but I looked at a very geographically diverse group to bring in for interviewing. I mean, I think we're a little different because we're not Philadelphia or New York or Chicago. Everyone knows what they're like. Nobody really knows what Charlottesville is like unless they have a connection and there are not that many people have a connection to us. I don't think I loved last year's match. You know, it's interesting in the in the guidelines it mentions program director wellness as a reason for keeping it virtual, but I did not enjoy the virtual interview process and I kind of felt bad for the applicants. I feel like if I were an applicant, I would be more anxious about that. And they certainly were just having it be the first time they had gone through it. So I think it'll be a little bit easier this coming year because they'll have a class above them to advise them and will have gone through it before. 
but I can't say I really enjoyed the process. I really missed meeting people in person. It worked out great for us in the end, but it wasn't that much fun to do all those Zoom interviews. I think it'll also be easier this upcoming year because we're doing so many more other things in person. It won't feel as much of a chore, hopefully. I think you raised such a good point that the current interns can advise these rising seniors uh, based on their experience. That's so really important and probably should be emphasized you know, around the country to have those meetings between the seniors and the interns just because of that unique nature. I thought the students did great this past year. It was really hard on us, but I thought they uh, rose to the challenge really well. And uh, maybe that's a generational thing and that they're a lot better than tech than I am. I think um, so what about this year? What do you think is going to be new this year? Well, you know, I think things that we might do a little differently. We had these virtual social events every week and I haven't talked to the current interns to see what their take was on it, but I feel like that probably turned into a chore for both the applicants and the current residents who met with them. I'm hoping that more people maybe will be able to do in-person second looks or there'll be other opportunities, or maybe we'll do a couple of those during interview season, but I don't think we'll do them every single week. I think there's a lot less anxiety on our part and the applicant's part on how we're going to project information about our program. And so I think we can think a little more creatively about how to do that without it being kind of a painful, awkward, virtual meet people kind of thing. I think we'll think about other ways to connect applicants with residents. Maybe there'll be more one-on-one or we'll have a buddy for the applicants where they can direct questions. I think we were pretty careful actually not to interview on more days or interview more applicants. We had already increased our number of interview days and applicants because we had gone from 10 to 12 the year before. So we just sort of kept that number and I'm actually going to drop it this year. So we'll interview just a smidge fewer. So I think we will see that trend where programs may be over-interviewed a little bit and they won't do that. And then maybe there's also going to be some limits on the number of interviews for applicants to go on. And I think that'll be a good thing for everybody. I think over-interviewing doesn't really benefit anyone, least of all the applicants. Yeah, that was a train that left the station. The programs interviewed extra. The students interviewed extra. We told them not to. They still did it. So hopefully all that anxiety and, and effort will get pulled back a bit. But you know, we haven't actually said it. The next year is going to be virtual. Is that right? That's our understanding. So it sounds like CORD has endorsed those recommendations and will be virtual for all of our interviews. All right. So we, we, didn't, we didn't actually state that explicitly, but that's hot off the press news students that um, we're looking at a virtual season once again. So um, any advice that you're going to give your students this year as they approach the match, you know, number of interviews, and et cetera? So I think certainly they should talk to the current interns, as you pointed out. They're a great resource. They're really the only ones who have gone through this. Um, number of interviews, I hope there'll be some kind of guidance on the max number, and I'll really encourage students to stick to that. Obviously, some students will recommend that they go on a few more and some a few less, depending on the strength of their application. But I think reasonably, it really shouldn't be different than an in-person interview season in terms of numbers. And that's kind of the advice that I'm going to put out there. I think it's important for them to practice the virtual format. As you said, most people did great with it. I think there were a few people that it hurt. And those people really need to practice. Maybe they're great in person, but they don't do quite as well virtually, and they probably need to identify why. And so their program director and their faculty are going to be a good resource for them for that. Can you break that down? What made it a poor interview? What specifically about their interview was less than ideal? I think some people have a hard time 
not being stiff in front of a camera and the idea that they're on a camera and they can see themselves on the camera. That's the only reason I can really think of. And I think a lot of those people, it was evident to us that they were different on camera than they were in person. And I think it's the minority of applicants. And I think that someone can tell them very quickly that they need to work on that a little bit. I don't really have any great tips on how they could maybe, you know, not looking at themselves on camera would help kind of focusing on the interviewer. And I think just practice, you know, they could probably do a handful of practice interviews and be totally fine. I think some people over curated their backgrounds, you know, they had something representing each one of their interests in their background. I think it's good to have a nice, neat background and maybe some books or something like that, but you don't need to make your background a representation of your entire ERAS application. Yeah. Our chair did some interviews this year and would point out all of the plants that were sitting behind the applicants and ask them if they could name uh, what type of plant it was. And uh, I I mean, I enjoyed that a great deal. I thought that was a, a great discourse. Um, so steps in the process this year to emphasize, what what advice do you have on that? So I think, again, really, it doesn't need to be terribly different than a normal interview season. So I'm going to tell them to apply to a diverse group of programs, not geographically lock themselves into one region or one type of program. You know, I think applicants might go into this thinking, oh, I'm only going to apply to big academic centers or only community programs. And I'm going to encourage them to apply to a wide variety, keep an open mind, not to make assumptions about what a program might be like. I think especially because of the virtual process and the fact that they don't get to visit them, I think it probably benefits people to apply to a lot of different types of programs and kind of really think very systematically about what the benefits are. I'm going to encourage them to make pro and con lists and kind of list exactly what they like and don't like about programs, which is a little bit different than my general advice. I think typically I tell students to just go with their gut feeling, but I think that's harder in the virtual format. So I'll probably tell them to be a little bit more thoughtful about how they rank programs and strategize their ranking. You know, Michelle, I've always had this research study idea where a student should walk out of an interview and then do a selfie right? And and take their facial expressions and rank order them, you know, for the 12 interviews they're going to do, because they're not going to do more than 12 listeners interviews, nor will they apply to more than 30 programs. Students, do you hear us? This is what we say every year. So they're going to take their 12 faces, right, Michelle? Yeah. And then the happiest face goes on top and that should be the rank list. Don't you think that would work? Yeah, I think the happiest face turns out in ones which where there's constant sun, you know, like in San Francisco, where you come to visit me. There's no sun in San Francisco. There's oh, sun yeah. 30 minutes south. No, no. I bring out the sun just for the students, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you. So let's move on to our final panelist, Dr. Caputo from Staten Island. What are your general observations about the 2021 match? It was an interesting year. I think we were venturing into uncharted territory. I think emergency medicine overall definitely handled it in stride, which I think is predictable for what we do. But I think there was a safety net. A lot of the program directors I spoke to added about 10% to their interview list and their rank list. And we wanted to play it safe and make sure that we got a strong match. I'm going to disagree with some of the statements before. And from my experience and what I got out of the interview process is a lot of times we were sitting down and trying to decide whether we should go with a known quantity, like a rotator that we had, and really gauge the read we had on these virtual interviews. I will admit that the virtual interviews feel like we got the same read that we would for normal interviews. But at the end of the day, we were leaning towards taking a safer approach and going with the known quantity. And we had 
six of our 10 residents we matched rotated with us either virtually or in person. And we just felt that that was the safer option. I think some of the other programs did the same. Your virtual rotation. Tell me about that. So again, uncharted territory, but we wanted to make something as realistic as possible and use Zoom and try and get these students immersed in emergency medicine. So we would mail them suture kits and supplies to do procedures over Zoom so you could observe them. They would have lectures, they'd have SIM cases, some kind of virtual patient encounters, really everything you can do without putting your stethoscope and physically examining a patient to get an assessment on students. That is so creative. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's so great. And you ended up transferring that into interns in the match. That's really important. That's great. Well, what other messages would you reinforce from the advice that we've been hearing or or general advice that you give your students annually that might hold again in this virtual season? Especially this year, I think you have to be prepared. Last year is everyone's first time around the track. This year, the programs have done this before. So we're going to kind of refine our skills. But you do notice some certain things that will be in your background or that happened. So, you know, make sure your pets are locked up and not jumping in front of the computer screen, that your audio works, that your Wi-Fi works. You really want to be on time like you would for a normal interview and not have issues logging on to the system. And most importantly, be yourself. We really want to see who's going to fit in that family. And you want to be loose. You want to be yourself. You don't want to be too stiff. And you really want the programs to get a good feeling for who you are as an applicant. I think as part of your interview file, I love to really look at hobbies and interests because certain hobbies I'm going to jump on and we'll have a great interview on. And certain things I may look past, like if you put water painting as a hobby, that's not something I'm probably going to bring up. But my APD is going to probably talk to you for 10 minutes about that. So put as many things as possible as you, under your hobbies and interests that you're passionate about talking about. It's a really good starting point for a lot of your interview talks. Well, everyone listening wants to know what to place in their hobbies now for you to pick up on it. So what, what would those be? For me, just started on the Peloton. That's a big one. Fantasy okay. football, NFL football. I'm a big competitor at heart. So anything like that. Some uh, Netflix series will definitely catch my attention. Michelle, this is the best insider information we've ever gotten. Oh, I'm like it. I'm going to put watercolors on that list too, just to mess things up a little bit. Just to mess with it. That's right. (laughs) Dr. Muto, what what final advice do you have for students or or even program directors? What might need to change this year? I think the program directors are going to sit down and really think about whether or not they're going to try and get around these virtual interviews, because something that will come up is the second looks. And, you know, if you come into a program and come in person for a second look and kind of see the space and meet the program directors and some of the residents, you may have a little inside edge. And I don't know what programs are going to do that this year. I think we should be definitely united and keep it as a fair playing field for everyone. But locally, rotators, everyone like that, to visit a program, it's going to be kind of a gray area. So I I really think we need more discussion on that and have a united front in emergency medicine. I I think that's fascinating, right? We we made the decision to allow students to come do on-campus patients as visiting students, and now we're not going to let them come and do an interview. I think that's really discordant. So it's going to be a little confusing. And that second look is going to be up for controversy. You know, it wasn't an option this year, but will it be an option six months into the process and right before the the rank lists are due? I think that's going to be uh, to be seen, but, but very interesting. 
I have a quick question for all three of you, and it's going to be a fast response. Your, your options are remain virtual, all in person, or hybrid. What would you have done this year going into the match? So, so JJ, would Temple have gone all virtual, gone all in person, or would it have been hybrid? I would say probably hybrid. You know, we would like to be all in person, but you know, understand that not everybody can do that in every situation. Mm-hmm. Amitha? I think we would have gone hybrid as well had we had the choice. Mm-hmm. What about you, Billy? You know, I agree with JJ. If it was up to me, I would love for it to be all in person. I think Staten Island is one of those places that not everyone's been to, not everyone knows about, not everyone knows how much the residents love it here. So I think really getting them here is one of our big sells. And that's one of the big downsides to virtual interviews. Uh, That being said, I would probably lean fully towards a hybrid model just to continue to get diverse applicants from other places, but definitely an in-person part of it. Yeah, Michelle, I'm fascinated by these answers, right? It it seems like everyone has this affection for having the in-person interview process, but there's so much good that happened out of these virtual interviews that, you know, at least hybrid makes a little bit of sense to you. What, What do you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree with all of you guys where I think ideally in person to gather all of the intangibles that that sell your program. But, you know, I'm going to be contrarian and like I like these all virtuals in the era of COVID. Um, I wouldn't put it on the burden of the student to say like, oh, uh, I'm going to pick this and this to do in person. You're like, oh, why did you do that? You're like, I don't know. Um, Maybe to keep it all blanket the same for better or worse. And then the second round interviews with um, in person's. I like that idea. That's a fascinating twist to the story arc. I don't know how it turn out, but I do like that all virtual and then some second look in persons. I was just going to say, you know, if you have in-person second looks, you run into the same things. You're going to have people who are maybe advantaged in one way or another by this. Are those people going to be the people that don't have financial constraints? And at the end of the day, I don't think this is a winnable battle anymore. I, you know, there is no perfect outcome, but I think we have to be careful especially as a group of program directors about not being too paternalistic, because I think that, yes, we get a lot out of them coming in person as far as our assessment of them, but they're assessing us at the same time. And I think we're taking something away from them in their ability to make that decision if we lock them out. One thing that was mentioned in that Coalition for Physician Accountability document is that one way to kind of mitigate the potential negative effect of allowing in-person second look is to change the dates for when rank lists have to be in. And so if the programs have to submit their rank lists on X date, second looks would be after that date. So it would not affect an applicant's position on the rank list. And I think that's a great idea. I hope we mm-hmm. actually see that happen. And then I think that would allow some second look opportunities for people who wanted them, but then the people who couldn't do them wouldn't feel disadvantaged. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I see, it's that. these innovations and creativity that have to come out of a process. You know, it's never let a, a crisis go without getting something out of it, right? And, and I think that's where some of this innovation. Michelle, any final questions? I do have one question. Now that you've gone through this whole round, And it sounds like most of you maybe interviewed a few more people. Are you going to roll it back and go back to status quo now that you know that you can fill your spots, you feel you get a good geographical representation of new residents? What are your thoughts? You keeping it the same as last year or are you going to roll it back to two years ago? And we start with JJ, Amitha, and then Billy. Yeah, I think we'll we'll roll it back a bit. We increased probably almost 20% in the number of interviews we were doing just because we didn't know what was going to happen. And sure enough, things ended up just like they always do. So I, I think we'll roll it back, maybe not 
totally to pre-pandemic, but probably close. So we're going to roll it back. We didn't interview more, but as I mentioned, that was a function of us having already increased our numbers the year before because of going from 10 to 12. So I think we'll go back to basically a proportionate number per spot as we were interviewing when we had 10 residents. I think we're going to be flexible. I, I think ideally we'll roll it back, but we actually really look at the list and see the number. And if there's strong candidates in between two years ago to last year's number, we're probably going to stop at that point. So I think we're going to be a little bit flexible. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, Michelle, this is always my favorite episode of the year. There's so much to unpack and richness and secrets. I love NFL secrets that were shared. Um, So this was really great panelists. Thank you so much. And as our show of gratitude, we want to give you the opportunity to pitch your program with a free commercial, if you will. Uh, Michelle's favorite part of the episode. So uh, we're going to start with Dr. Uffberg. Tell me something I don't know about Temple University. Something you don't know is that we were recently ranked in the top 20 most racially inclusive hospitals in the country. I think what's great about Temple, and I think I, I can speak from experience, I've been program director here now for 17 years. I've been on the faculty now here for about 22 years. But the amazing thing is that I think it's really a best of both worlds experience. You know, somewhere that gives you kind of that gritty hands-on experience of a county-style hospital but doing it with the resources and and kind of the academic setting of a university-based medical center, you know, that has the resources that I think allow us to do some things that often county places that see the same patient base that we do can't do, whether it's a big, great, wonderful nursing staff, and there's plenty of them and good ratios to having social work case management, you know, an amazing rapport with our, our colleagues and our consultants. I think it's really nice that they can work in one of the busiest penetrating trauma centers you're going to find anywhere, but it's also a tertiary care, you know, referral university hospital with one of the busiest lung transplant centers in the country that we get to be a place that's been among the top NIH funded research emergency departments in the country for years, but at the same time, be a place where our residents get to pursue social justice initiatives. It's an amazing place, great family atmosphere, residents that really love uh, working together and supporting each other. And I hope that uh, you listeners will, will check us out, come interview season. Temple is a great place. Long and storied program, fantastic faculty with a long history of contributions to EM, and certainly uh, almost a critical access site. For you. So students consider being a Temple owl. And how about the University of Virginia? Tell me something I don't know about your program. Well, you know, we're in this beautiful college town at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains and everything's perfect. And I think sometimes applicants have the impression that maybe it's not gritty enough for someone who wants a career in emergency medicine, but that is definitely not the case. We actually serve a very underserved population, an economically underprivileged population, a racially diverse population. We have a lot of refugees in this area and actually a very large Spanish speaking population, which I think is a bit unexpected in rural Virginia. So So you will get to use your Spanish language skills, you will get to use your social justice skills, and you'll get to do it with an amazing group of people who really enjoy working together. The residents and faculty are all warm and friendly, and we have this great sense of community, but we will also encourage our residents to 
pursue their niche interests within emergency medicine, go into fellowships or community jobs all over the country and even all over the world. So you can really become any kind of emergency physician you want here at UVA, and you will do it with a really interesting population with patients who actually have some very serious medical problems. So you will also be very confident at doing critical care and a lot of different things within emergency medicine. And like I said, in a beautiful setting. So I live about a mile from the hospital and I look out my window and I can see the Blue Ridge. So there are not many places you can live with a view of the mountains as a resident. Well, that's what I want to believe, right? All those wonderful things you could do about your program and be right next to Thomas Jefferson uh, architecture. So that's the image I'm going to walk away with. So students, check out the University of Virginia, another old and storied program with amazing faculty who've done a lot for the specialty of emergency medicine. Check out the Cavaliers. And last but not least, Staten Island Medical Center. Tell me something I don't know about your program. Not everyone even knows where Staten Island is and what we're about. And a lot of people haven't been to Staten Island. So we are one of the boroughs of New York City. We're miles away from Manhattan. The people in the area know that we're a powerhouse in emergency medicine. We have lecture competitions. We do sim wars. We just won the last all New York City sim wars against all the other city programs. So a couple of other programs are scared to get in the ring with us and uh, we're gonna bring it. We take every resident here, we see what they're about, where they're going and how to get them there because we know everyone's not the same. So we're gonna give them the opportunities and the skills to flourish in their career and be right along with them as we go. Nothing more I like than developing professional speakers People are going to be the future of emergency medicine. We're ultrasound heavy, critical care heavy, simulation heavy. Our director of international medicine for entire Northwell system is one of our ED attendings. So you're going to get plenty of opportunities to do international medicine. Our motto is to work hard, play hard, have fun while you're here. And choosing a residency program is one of the most important decisions you make in your life. And I'd like to think that all of the residents that come here really, really think that they made the right decision. So you guys can check us out and get more information at statenislandem.com. And that's us here at Staten Island. Well, having uh, lived in New York for most of my young adult life, I can say that the grittiness and competitiveness of Staten Island extends to your hospital. I love that. So students check out Staten Island Medical Center. With that, Michelle, another best of reflecting on the match year under the belt here. All right. Good luck, students. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Emergency Medicine Match Advice. You can view any of our episodes for free on Allium's YouTube channel. Also, check out summaries of our episodes as blog posts on Allium.com and in the publication A User's Guide to the Allium EM Match Advice series in the June 2017 issue of the Western Journal of Emergency Medicine. We love to hear from our listeners. Post your questions or comments for any of our episodes on Allium.com. Thanks for joining us.